It's got a soul, this hero farm It falls asleep inside my arms We walk the fields under the stars But love is here, Goldshaw Farms Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. Each episode on our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And I've just gotten in from working outside, ducks to bed, I've been mulching trees, getting our property ready for the spring, and it's exciting and it's exhilarating. And I know it's something that people are doing activities like this all across the country right now. It's, it's you know, that springtime, awakening time, a lot of energy coming to things. And what always strikes me as interesting about the homesteading movement and people getting focused in on agriculture is the diversity of people that it attracts. I have friends who are hardcore conservative Christians. I have friends who are crazy hippie freaks. And I have friends who chart on the spectrum in between those two poles. And all of them, though, have a shared belief in trying to become closer with where their food comes from, trying to live more sustainably, and trying to be more self-sufficient. One good example of this diversity is my friend Jennifer Ward in upstate New York. Jennifer and her husband Chris have a place that they've dubbed the Sunshine Farm. They're in their 20s, they're vegetarians, and Jen's actually in the middle of a PhD program. But all of those factors working together also helped propel them into buying their own farm before they hit the age of 25 and starting to grow their own food. A couple of days ago, I sat down with Jen to learn more about how she and her husband got started doing this and more importantly, why they're doing it. I had been dealing with health issues for a while, for maybe almost a year at that point, and a lot of anxiety that came with that of what what if my life's not that long? Like, what if this is serious? And it wasn't, but it, in my mind it was like, it could be, right? Life could be really short. And I had this dream of having horses and having a property, and we lived in a place that had a really affordable cost of living. And I had a job that I hadn't expected to have. So we had two incomes and had the ability to do it. And so I kind of just said to Chris, I was like looking at properties on Zillow on my phone, you know, doing that thing on my own. And I just said, like, I don't, I don't want to wait to make a dream come true when we're not guaranteed time. So I just kind of said, well, we can do it. Like it, it won't be easy. You know, we'll be living uh, a different lifestyle. We won't be able to go out as much or travel as much, but um, this is this is my dream. And he knew that. Uh, he knew that when we were dating. I told him that my dream was to have um, horses and therapy farm and all these things that I might not have now, but um, he knew I wanted this this kind of life of having horses and having a farm. So he signed up for it. And I think when it came down to it, it was just a fear of like the finances side of things of like, can we cut it financially? So um, that was the biggest thing. And I think it took a while for him to be willing to see a property with me. Um, I had to kind of lay out the numbers a little bit for him, I think. 
Um, I'm distracted by your cat in the window. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't realize just... Pablo was sneaking in there. Yeah, he usually Pablo? likes to to sit and and look over my shoulder and uh, watch me while I'm editing for some reason. So sorry about That's that. That's hilarious. No, you're you're totally fine. I'm just always distracted by animals. Um, but yeah, it was it was definitely me being like taking a risk and saying this is what I've wanted my whole life and this is something that I don't want to wait on. Um, and I was willing to kind of uh, work full time. We were both willing to stay work working full time to be able to make make it happen. Uh, so it was, it was a little crazy and it's one of those things where everyone else was like, how can you afford this? And you've only lived in your house for a year. That's a bad investment. And all those things, you know, people were, were not necessarily supportive. My mom was like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, but I think Chris just saw my my desire to act on a dream and slowly he was more willing to do it. <laughs> now, now, can you describe uh, your setup now where you guys are living? Yeah, so we live about 30 minutes outside of a mid-sized city, uh, Rochester, New York, and we live on a 12 and a half acre uh, horse farm. And so it you know it has a five stall horse barn and horse pastures all set up and we're turning it into less of a horse farm and more of like a hobby farm and homestead. Um, so when we moved here, it was already all ready for horses. They, the previous owners had like five or six horses and you know they had all of that set up and that was the only thing we were really interested in doing when we moved here. And now we've added the chickens and we rescued goats and we've started a pretty big garden and getting ready on starting our food forest and um, permaculture orchard and we kind of are thinking of how can we decrease our lawn space and increase our growing space as much as possible um, and we also have a couple acres of trails like two or three acres of like woods and trails on our property it's surrounded by it's kind of funny it's surrounded by a lot of rural land where there are big uh, properties like five acres plus but most of the people live very suburban lifestyles. So most of our neighbors don't have gardens. No one else has chickens on our street, even though the properties are pretty huge and uh, nobody has like any sort of livestock or orchard or anything like that, but um, a fair amount of horses. So there are some other horse properties here. And did you, did you grow up in that area? I grew up in Southern California. Uh, my husband grew up in upstate New York and we met in college on a mission trip in Yellowstone. So I decided to move out here after college uh, when we got married and just decided that this would be a better place for us to start out financially because of the cost of living. Um, and in the back of my mind, knowing I wanted to have a farm and that California was not going to make that, that dream come true anytime soon. <laughs> So now as, as you're getting started and really trying to build out your homestead and, and you know, create a property that you can really enjoy for years and years to come, like what's your process? Like how do you start tackling something like that? Yeah, I think I would say something that's been really helpful for us is just getting a sense of what our goals are. And when we first started, as I've said, you know, our goal was to rescue animals, have horses, and kind of just make this it's almost like an animal sanctuary and that changed so much and now our goal is really growing our own food and so you know we could get into market gardening and doing a csa or all of that stuff but that's going to distract us from the goal of growing our own food so right now we're really focusing on let's expand our garden let's start the orchard and let's get some perennial plants in and that is you know a huge thing to tackle 
Um, so we're working on that this year and we planted about 25 or so fruit trees and uh, berry bushes just a couple weeks ago. That was a big step for us and our garden is about 4,000 square feet or so now, which was zero at this time last year. So, you know, big steps towards making that goal um, a reality, but also showing people, you know, how everything works together. So like the chickens, they're gonna be uh, using, we're using electric netting and they're gonna be clearing out, you know, new garden beds for us. And the horses, we use their manure for uh, the garden. And, and then the goats, we also use their, their rotted hay bedding to prep like root stout style garden beds. So we're using everything and trying to decrease what we bring in as much as possible. So that's exciting. Um, just getting to that point where like even things like from the garden, like like leaves from cauliflower that we might not use. Like I can give that to our, our uh, bunnies. They eat that, like that's good for them. And then they poop and then the poop goes in the garden. So it's just a cycle of everything's working uh, towards the goal of growing food. Yeah, you know, you, you made an interesting point there about, you know, thinking about market gardening or starting a CSA and that distracting you from, you know, really just growing your own food. And, you know, I'm on like almost the other side of that equation where I'm focused on trying to get a farm business going. And, and you're totally right that it makes growing your own food so much harder because the skills and the focus you need to put to stuff it's it's just a different skill set um, mm -hmm. and stiff different mindset when you're thinking about growing your own food versus growing lots of food for other people. Yeah, absolutely. And also, you know, having a plant-based diet, uh, there's so much diversity that we want to have in our diet. So it means growing a lot of different things, things like beans and uh, soy, and then you want your greens, and then you want your um, root vegetables and potatoes. And so having like a diversity in our diet is so important. Whereas, especially you mentioned this in your last episode, um, or the, the individual you spoke with mentioned it, having a diversity when you're doing like a CSA or a market can be really hard because you might not be as efficient in what you're growing if you're growing like hundreds of different things. So um, if you're growing it for yourself, like you want that diversity. But if you're growing it for others, you might want to specialize and have specific crops that you're able to produce at a high rate. So let's talk about that plant-based thing. So now you and your husband you guys are vegans or vegetarians or sort of what's We're your status there like a little bit of both really we we use the term plant-based because it represents the idea that our diet's based mostly on plants um but we're not like legalistic about it in that we're not going to like if something has like a trace of milk or a trace of um um, I don't know, like less than 2% milk derivative ingredient. We try not to worry so much about that um, because I think that just misses the point for us. But really, um, we, we just, we don't, we don't eat dairy or meat because they're both connected, right? Like if you have a dairy cow that has to reproduce and then that's gonna produce a baby, if it's a male, it's gonna then be used for meat. And so it's kind of just, oh, well, that's not who we are. That's not what we want here on our farm. So. Let's just not do that. So we don't do that. Um, we eat eggs because we have lots of chickens and they lay a lot of eggs. And for us, it's just, it's worked well to balance. Uh, I don't know, our health has been pretty well balanced with the eggs. And so, you know, it's just, it just works for us. We, we feel ethically, oh, like we feel ethically good about that decision. So really it's like, what, what are our values? 
what are our ethics guiding us towards and let's make decisions according to that instead of making decisions according to like a label or a group that says you should eat this this and this or don't eat this it's more like what what are our values telling us and how can we live according to that so for example we were talking about this while we were in mexico about seafood and you know what what we feel good about and what we don't and really what it came down to is when we were looking at like the problems of overfishing in our oceans and environmentally like how impactful that is it was like well i would feel okay if we went out and fished and caught like an invasive species or a species that was like impacting the environment in a negative way and we consumed that fish i would feel morally okay about that but i don't feel okay buying something from a store that is supporting overfishing or i don't know if it is or isn't and can't be connected with that so so your choice is driven more by ethical concerns than health concerns yes Absolutely. Um, although I think they actually work really well together because like every other animal is eating, like if we think about like chickens or uh, cows or whatever, they're eating the greens and the garden and those things first, right? And so if we can just eat those things, we're getting those nutrients from their first source essentially. So like health wise, um, like your cholesterol and all of those things are huge. I mean, my cholesterol was fine. I didn't have any issues. I mean, I'm 25 and generally 25 year olds don't have cholesterol issues. But I, when I switched over to plant-based, it dropped like 60 points or something crazy like that. It wasn't even high. And so there are huge benefits for your heart and arteries and cholesterol um, when you are eating more plants. Whether or not you're eating you know, some animal products in there, eating more plants is good for everyone, I think. As you say, you have this kind of more what feels right to you approach to, to this type of, of diet. You know, do you find you get criticism from whether it's people who eat meat or criticism from people who are vegans? Like, like which yeah, way does it usually come sides. from? Totally all sides. And I think the tricky thing about it is I am like a firm believer that the world is not like so black and white. I think there are a lot of gray areas and I think context matters. Like you can't say... Uh, one thing is all right or one thing is all wrong. I think different people through their culture and their experiences and um, who they are have different choices that they make. And I think that for us, these are the choices that we're feeling called to. Um, the, the choices that we feel good about. It's not that necessarily like it would be wrong if we ate meat. We just wouldn't feel good about it. And so I like feeling good about the choices of like, you know, the things we do in the garden and there's no like negativity, um, emotional or effort wise with it. Um, so I get a lot of criticize, a lot of criticism from, well, vegans who don't understand why we eat eggs, um, why we have farm animals. Uh, mostly it's not that bad though. I, cause I think I don't use the term. Like I intentionally don't call ourselves vegans because I don't want to confuse people, <laughs> but there's, a, there's just no way not to confuse people, I think, uh, because it's a non-traditional lifestyle. And so it just takes some, takes some explaining, I guess. And then a lot of people who don't, you know, who are eating meat or dairy just don't like, just don't like that we're not, I guess. I think it makes them feel uncomfortable or maybe like we're being judgmental towards their lifestyle choices and the fact that we avoid them. But I really don't, like there are certain choices, like going to the supermarket and buying and buying meat when you have no connection with it. Like I, I think that that's 
a bad system. Not, not necessarily the consumer's fault, right? It's a system problem that we have factory farming. So I'm not judging people for the choices that they make, and I think their situation is so different than mine. But there's a sense of, oh, well, you're not eating it, so you must be judging me for eating it. And um, I'm definitely not that way. Like, most of our friends and family are not vegetarians. <laughs> um, I, I have very, very few friends that are. And so there's like very, there's no judgment there. That's for sure. Hmm. Now, as you're planning your garden this year, does your diet preferences, does that drive like what you're thinking about in terms of what, what vegetables and, and, and fruits you want to try to grow? Absolutely. So I just, I just uh, made a video the other day about how we're growing plant-based protein in the garden. And we, so we do a lot of tempeh, which is a fermented uh, soy product. It's essentially you take soybeans, you ferment them, and you make like a patty. It's like an ancient product. It's not something new or and it's not processed at all. But it's kind of a nice substitute for meat. Um, you make tempeh tacos and all these things. And so we're growing soy, organic and heirloom soy in the garden. And we're going to be able to make our own tempeh. We'll be able to make our own tofu, soy milk, um, maybe even miso. So uh, lots of cool things you can make with soy and it's much healthier when it's grown organically in your own garden. Um, and things like quinoa we're growing, potatoes, we love potatoes. I even want to try mushrooms, but that's a big step. So I'm going to do that next. How do you figure out like how much is the right amount for you to try to tackle this year in terms of trying new stuff and learning new stuff without overwhelming yourself? Yeah, my approach this year, because this is really my first year trying to produce a good chunk of our own food from the garden. Last year was our very first year gardening at all um, here. So this year I'm trying a little bit of everything and then I wanna take good data on how much we use um, both from those crops, but then throughout the year, like when do we run out of what we've grown? And then what are we using? What are we buying from the store week by week so that I can have an idea of how much we'll need to grow in the coming seasons but it's tricky i mean there's two of us and you can look up things like on the back of a seed packet it might say uh, let's see six to eight lentil plants per person or something like that so i planted probably 60 lentil plants so it should be enough but i don't know we'll see <laughs> wait wait you said six to eight per person and then you planted 60. yeah <laughs> but I don't know how many, I don't know how many will produce and I don't know if that's based on like a standard American diet, which is like not very heavy on the lentils. So yeah, I just, we'll see. It's all going to be experimental for sure, but I'm trying to do um, as much as I can of at least learning how to grow those crops. So we're growing garbanzo beans because we eat a lot of hummus. And so we want to make our own hummus and we're doing sesame so we can make tahini with the sesame that we're growing. And that is what you use for hummus, uh, tahini and garbanzo beans. So um, I, I don't know how many garbanzo beans I'll plant, but it'll be fun to learn how to grow them so that once we have an idea of how much we'll need to grow, we have that baseline knowledge down. So yeah, it's a, it's a very learning year for sure. But our goal is by 20, I think we said 2021, 80% of our own food. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how we do on that. How do you go about setting a goal like that? Well, I think we, our goal is never to be like perfectly self 
sustainable, right? I, I, there is no way to be perfectly that way. And so there's always certain things like coconut. We love coconut, avocados, huge, huge suckers for avocados, cashews. Like there are certain things um, that we're not gonna be able to grow here, right? Uh, can't grow those things in this climate unless you have a massive greenhouse. And so we know that those chunks of items we can't grow, we're not gonna try to grow. Um, but everything else we eat pretty much, like potatoes, onions, garlic. We eat lots of tortillas. So uh, I actually just ground up some corn from last summer and I'm gonna make homemade tortillas, uh, corn tortillas tomorrow night. Uh, we're doing, we're even doing rice. So we're gonna try rice. We'll see how that goes. Um, and like I said, a lot of it's experimental, but really there's not, there's not that many things we eat that we can't grow here because Chris and I are off of a lot of processed, a lot of processed foods. We've really tried to eat what we know can be grown. So avoiding like tons and tons of tropical fruits. Like we don't really eat mango or pineapple a lot or things like that because if those are our favorite fruits, well, we can't grow them. So that's not ideal. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot a lot of learned lessons, but our, um, I think the biggest thing for trying to meet that 80% goal is matching our appetites to what can be grown in this region, which is a lot of things. So it, it works pretty well, but like our core diet is lentils, uh, or not lentils, sorry, legumes, so grains and vegetables. So they can grow here. So we're gonna try, we're gonna try to do it. And if we don't meet that goal, that's, a, that's okay. Like maybe our goals will change. Um, I don't know, like I don't know what two, three, four years down the road looks like here at our farm, but I am having so much fun growing these things and trying out these crops that right now that's where I see us going. And if that changes, that's okay too, but um, I'm excited about it now. So I'm gonna run with it. <laughs> Given that you're in your mid twenties, you know, I don't imagine you have a lot of friends who are doing what you're doing, at least in your area. Is, is that the case or? Yeah, or? we don't, I don't know a single person in my life, um, apart from YouTube or Instagram that is doing, I take that back. I have one friend. I don't know like anybody in New York doing anything like this. Nobody in my hometown, nobody in California. All my friends are very much, uh, most of them are still single. Most of them are living in cities, uh, working, doing, you know, the traveling thing, that, that kind of thing. And so even just having a house, like living in a house is very foreign to most of the of my peers. Um, and then I have one friend who um, I met on the same trip where I met Chris, my husband, and she lives in Maine with her husband and we're all really good friends. And they're actually starting a homestead on two acres in Maine. And that has been so fun because we've, she's actually kind of inspired me to start gardening in the first place. And then now they're doing it. Um, and so that's been a really fun friendship to have because like, as you imagine, it's very, uh, it's very isolating when you don't have anybody your age and doing anything like that. And really anybody, I don't know anybody at any age, really, like here, like, I don't know any homesteaders in our region, um, at, at all. Even like a garden here is very small. People might have like a little backyard garden. It's like 10 by 10. Um, which might seem big to some people, but when you're trying to grow a lot of your own food, that's really not a lot of space to do it. Well, how, how do you then find that connection and, and feel not alone in what you're doing? A lot of it has been through social media, 
um, which can have its cons, of course, and comparison game and all of those things. But for connecting with other people who have similar passions, that has been really amazing. A lot of them are, you know, more in their 30s or 40s, a lot of the people I've connected with. But it's been really fun, and that's actually, I've met a lot of other people who are more plant-based in doing that kind of thing. And that's been cool, too, just to see how do they grow these things, or what, what things are they trying to grow. Um, and one thing I've noticed, which I just have, this is how I kind of started YouTube, really, in the first place, and started even talking about plant-based homesteading, was I just don't really see anybody growing, like, their own, uh, like, proteins or legumes, which is, like, the biggest source of a vegetarian's diet, really. So that was one thing where I was like, well, no one's really talking about this, and I, I, need, I need help with this, and so I guess... I guess I'll help myself by uh, struggling and learning and hopefully through that be able to provide some resources on that subject, which I just don't, and I could be wrong, there could be people out there doing it, but it's not easily accessible. And now as you look forward beyond trying to get up to that 80% goal, what are your, your plans for your homestead? Well, my husband, he's an energy engineer, so he's really passionate about decreasing our energy use and creating more sustainable energy. So we're um, adding solar panels this year and that's going to take us off of the need for electricity from the grid. And so we're gonna have all of our electri electricity needs for our farm met by our solar panels. Um, one really big goal we have for the next five to 10 years is he wants to build a, uh, like a sustainable greenhouse. And so it's gonna be it's not going to need to be heated, but it's going to be so efficient in the way it's designed that it's going to retain heat really well. So he was actually researching some studies on this one greenhouse design. Um, they did some study, I think, in Colorado of this greenhouse that even when it was, it was like negative 18 degrees outside, it maintained like 50 degrees plus in the greenhouse without any heat. And so he's really excited about things like that. Um, that's a big goal of ours. It's hard because we don't know if we want to stay here. Uh, at, at this property um, but right now we're living as if we'll be here forever kind of and enjoying that whole process because if you live like you're leaving then you're not going to take advantage of of the place you you're you're in and so we're living like we're going to be here kind of forever and and starting our orchard and starting those things and because if we do then we'll have all that stuff in place and so the greenhouse is a big goal um, we definitely, I think, want to focus more on food production in the gardens and less on, you know, adding new animals because it's a lot of work and it's all a high cost. And if we're trying to decrease our cost as much as possible so we don't have to work full-time jobs, it's really expensive to, to uh, pay for all their feed. But if we do add more animals, more grazers, you know, to help with pasture management, uh, we definitely want to rescue as much as possible just because they're not serving a utilitarian purpose. Um, they're just serving, well they could be, I mean right with pasture management, but um, they're more of companions for us and so there's a lot of animals that need that need homes and so that's kind of something we're, we're passionate about. Right, well I mean I imagine that's tough because I mean as I think about adding animals to our farm here, you know it's like oh well then I could eat them. <laughs> like, and, yeah. and I know that like for you guys like you're not of that mindset and so yeah. sort of the value that that animal brings even yeah if it's you know kind of helping manage your pasture, it's still, that sort of ends there, whereas like others are looking at it for meat or fiber or other things like that. Yeah, and so we really look at it more as like a, like a, 
because it's like mentally, emotionally, and intellectually, like a, a dog and a goat are really a same level, like as a species, like from the outside, right? We treat them different as humans, like we treat them differently, um, which is like a totally different conversation. And, and, and that's fine that we treat them differently. But for Chris and I, we don't like here on our farm. It's like, well, to us, like these are animals, they're going to stay here. They're going to live out their lives here and we're going to enjoy them for those aspects of what they provide, like the companionship, um, the, the, I mean, goats are really fun animals to have around. And then the like other bonuses, which is things like their uh, waste and the way they impact the land, which is so positive, clearing brush and grass and all of those things. Um, and also just giving them a good life. So like the, the miniature pony, he was kind of, he wasn't really a rescue, but we adopted him from someone who, uh, he grew an inch too tall to be shown. So he is a miniature pony, but he is 39 inches. So he's an inch too tall. And so we ended up with him and uh, he's adorable and hilarious and also can teach tons of people about like the um, beauty of a horse, but people who might be really scared of the size of a big horse. So people come here and they experience a lot of joy because you don't have interactions with those types of animals on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that's, I mean, this lifestyle, I think of it more as like the joy that it brings to our lives than of a necessity. So as you think of that checklist that people have for starting their homestead, you know, it's kind of finding a place, starting to set it up, begin growing, begin to get animals, begin to kind of do all of those things. You know, you're kind of in still in that early stage, but you've gotten over almost those first couple of humps. Mm -hmm. um, what would you do differently kind of at this stage? And what do you sort of regret doing as you were starting to set up? Well, for us, it was so, so Chris and I have come across a lot of people um, who they know they want a homestead before they start homesteading, right? Like, it's like, I want to buy a homestead. I want to move and I want to do these things. We didn't have any of that when we moved here. Like we moved here wanting to have, I wanted to have a horse to ride. And so we knew we needed two horses because they need a buddy. And that, that was literally it. And then, sorry, my cat's scratching this chair. <laughs> so for us, it was, we fell into it. But as we were going, I think there were a lot of instances where, um, we could have set things up with the idea of how it would be in five years instead of setting it up for how it would be that in that moment, if that makes sense. So like when you set up your chicken coop, right, you might not imagine a goat pen being right next to it, but that's what we have now. And so it can be tricky when you're laying it out to anticipate that next step before it comes. And I mean, there's a lot of things I don't really have a whole lot of regrets. Um, I think one thing that I've learned since doing this is that you can't, you can't do it all a hundred percent and you have to give some things up the more you add in. And so I moved here and I wanted to ride my horse all the time. I didn't get to ride him at all last year because the garden kept up, uh, kept me busy <laughs> like 24 seven. And so I'm, I've given up, that part of what I want right now for something else that I want even more. So right now I want to grow our own food. That's a huge time commitment and we work full time and I'm a grad student. And so I barely have any time for myself 
and that's something I've just compromised. And so I can't do those things like riding my horse or just spending time with the horses or even the goats because I'm so busy growing the food, <laughs> getting the garden going and starting plants and making sure that they're not dying, which they always die, unfortunately. There's always one that dies, but yeah, it's just, I've had to learn that it's okay to, for your goals and your, your desires to change. I was really hard on myself for a while that I wasn't able to ride my horse. And it was this realization that it's okay if my interests have changed and that that's not something I want to do at this time because something else is calling my attention further. And it's okay to let your goals change because you only know um, what you only know what you know. And so you might get to a point in your life where you're like, oh, I know this now, well, I wanna do this. And so you have to be willing to adapt and be flexible and to go in those new directions or else you're going to be frustrated um, or resentful towards the things that are keeping you from that. Um, and so just being willing to like adapt and be flexible, I wish I would have known and expected that when we moved here because I spent some time just being frustrated with myself of like, well, I can't do this. Um, because this other thing's taking up my time and yeah, all of that. Um, what's it like being in grad school and homesteading? It's really helped me, especially in this whole plant-based homestead idea. Cause my grad school, um, I'm a PhD student in human development, um, uh, which is kind of in the field of, it's kind of a combination of like sociology, psychology, and anthropology. Um, but the whole field is about understanding how humans grow and change and stay the same um, over time and inter interaction with each other. And so like one of the classes I'm taking right now is all about um, our identity as humans and how we can adopt multiple identities and um, views of ourselves and how they don't have to fit into like boxes that we've kind of created. And so that's been really freeing because I'm like, it's okay for me to be vegetarian. It's okay for me to be a homesteader and um, working and to be a student. Like, it's okay for me to be all these things. Um, at the same time, like, I don't have to fit into any preconceived boxes of what each of those things mean to embrace the parts that I identify with. It's like, I can be a homesteader not, and not have livestock. That's okay. Like, I can, and, and we can challenge definitions and we can change definitions of what it means. Um, because I think that that creates more diverse communities in which we all benefit because we can challenge each other in ways that produce like a better society. So my grad school has been really awesome because I think I can bring in a perspective that maybe doesn't exist in certain communities because I don't know, I don't, I guess I don't see a lot of, a lot of people uh, challenging like the notions of what it means to be a homesteader sometimes. Um, it's funny, we all, homesteader is all about living non-traditionally, but then it becomes a community sometimes that is so, uh, has its own traditions uh, in and of itself. So like if you go to any blog post, it's like skills you need as a homesteader. It's gonna talk about milking an animal or uh, butchering an animal or preparing you know, meat or something like that. And it's like, you don't need those skills to be a homesteader. You don't, 
you could you can have those skills, but that's not what what's that's not the essence of being a homesteader. The essence of being a homesteader is uh, so much more broad and flexible and uh, not concrete. But so I just like I like challenging that. I like ch I like challenging systems that we've created um, because I think sometimes we make things so black and white and I don't know, it's less fun that way. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to learn more about Jen and Chris and see what they're doing over at the Sunshine Farm, you can look for them on YouTube at, um, well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. If you want to learn more about Jen and her husband, Chris, over at the Sunshine Farm, you can check out their website, which is sunshinefarmny.com, or you can go check out their YouTube channel. It's uh, just look for the Sunshine Farm and you should come at or you can look for their YouTube channel. Just uh, look for the – or you can watch their YouTube channel. You can just uh, look for them under the name of the Sunshine Farm. I think they're also on Instagram as the Sunshine Farm. And, uh, yeah, that's all we've got for this episode. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Be sure to be sure to write a review uh, wherever you're getting your podcast. The more reviews, the more ratings, the more positive feedback we get – the more people we bring to this movement and bring to our podcast. And if you want to start chatting with folks, uh, definitely come and join the Goldshaw Farm podcast group on Facebook. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun, and uh, I'm really enjoying this. And uh, finally, if you have any feedback for me or thoughts for me, feel free to shoot me an email. You can always reach me at goldshawfarm at gmail.com. Uh, you can also always check out our YouTube channel. It's uh, Goldshaw Farm. And uh, that is it for this episode. So with that, Mr. Keith Pierce, please play our theme song. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. A city life yet had its charms. the stars I fall asleep inside its arms the love is here at Goldshop Farms the love is here at Goldshop Farms